Hello, Mergles here. Hi, friends. Just wanted to quickly say that we were scheduled to release a mini-sode on Monday, and then our main episode this Thursday, the one that you're hearing right now, is actually our mini-sode. As you heard in our last record, PB was actually, unfortunately, she's okay, but was hit by a car. And while she is totally okay, she does still need to do some resting, no screen time. We really needed to rest that beautiful brain of hers, which is uh, important because she is so genius and we need her. So what you're about to hear is our uh, Monday scheduled mini-sode. However, it is pretty meaty and we get into some really, really excellent stuff. Uh, So we think that you're still really going to enjoy it. And we will be back next week with our regular scheduled programming. Thank you so much. On with the show. Erneut ist in der Kleinstadt Winden ein Junge auf mysteriöse Weise verschwunden. Guten Abend an alle da draußen. Ihr hört Radio Winden, Winden's number one radio station since 1953. We're turning it over to the Dark Three, only on Radio Winden. Wollen wir anfangen? Hello. 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 Hi. Welcome to Radio Winden, our mini-sode series, where you join our conversation and we discuss more things with you guys. Yes, yes, yeah. All the emails. <laughs> All of them. I'm, I'm so excited because you specifically had said that we have some good ones, and the, but do. you didn't give any details. So I'm like, I've been waiting. I've been yeah, waiting. we have some really good ones. Can't wait. Hi, I'm the mailman. We have mail. So we got an email from Svenja. Svenja says, hey, everybody. Hello. Hello. After finishing Dark and looking for more content, I found your podcast on Twitter and listened to all the episodes within two days. What? Yeah, I know. Twitter? (laughs) I know. Yeah, what? How? (laughs) That's amazing. I love your in-depth discussions of all the characters and how you found how background objects, e.g. Michael's drawings in the attic, connect to the ongoing story. Because of that, I wanted to share with you one thing I found. Oh, yes! Yes, I love this. <laughs> I know. On the cover of A Journey Through Time, the book Tan House wrote, you can see that the publisher is called Mino Toros. Yep. It is clearly a reference to Ariadne and her thread and could be an allusion to how the book leads to Claudia to Tan House, the only person who can tell her how the time machine works. I audibly gasped when you made the connection between Ulrich saying you never find yourself wondering where you took the wrong turn and him going down the wrong path in the cave. So did we. (laughs) (laughs) It's so brilliant, and I never put these two things together before. By the way, in the German version, Ulrich is saying, Fragst du dich auch manchmal, wann du eigentlich die falsche Abzweigung, Abzweigung genommen hast? In my opinion, they did a really good job translating this to English because it's almost exactly the same. The only minor difference is the use of where instead of the more accurate when. Thus, the emphasis in the original is more on the point in time rather than the location of the wrong turn, connecting it to the overall theme of time in the series. Holy shit. Yeah, man. Holy shit. (laughs) Oh my God. So that even further supports. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's nuts. Solid catch. Such a solid catch. Such a solid catch. I will say, however, we did know about the Minos Taurus publisher because before we had recorded a single episode, they have this notebook that you can get on Amazon, which is it's a notebook and it's got the cover of the journey through time. And Acorn mm-hmm. and I have this book. I don't know if Merg's got a copy, but we, I, I started my watch along and was taking notes in there. And I remember seeing that, freaking out 
taking a photo of it, putting it in our Discord group chat, and then just like screaming for five minutes about Nietzsche and all, all this other stuff. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. yeah, we have a yeah. we have an episode coming up that will talk more about the maze and Ariadne and the Minotaur. But my goodness, yes, that is a solid catch. Solid, yeah. solid, <laughs> solid. So good. I totally agree with you that Magnus and Francisca and Regina and Alexander have the most accepting and healthiest love in the series. But I can also understand the people who think Marta and Jonas have the best love story. I just wouldn't call it a love story, but a Greek tragedy. Mm -hmm. Their love is forbidden, and then they're on different sides for most of their lives, betraying each other multiple times. They're trapped in an endless circle with no escape, one trying to destroy everything, the other one trying to maintain it. Both doing horrible things in the process. And in the end, they make the ultimate sacrifice by erasing themselves from existence to break the circle and end the suffering. Yep. All these things make it a great Greek tragedy, a great story. Though in real life, I'd want the kind of love Magnus and Francisca and Regina and Alexander have. Yep. yep. I do want to quickly say that we will get into Jonas and Marta. And yes. Our, our lack of getting into Jonas and Marta and Adam and Ava is really because we're saving it for Endgame. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yep. we've received a couple of emails for episodes that we haven't even touched on yet. Yeah. Um, so we will get there. I promise we, we have quite the plan in store for you. And we we've mapped everything out ahead of time, which we're very excited about. So we know what we're talking about each week. They are coming. Jonas and Marta are on the well. They're at the end. Yes. The beginning and the end. The beginning well. and the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to your next episode, Svenja. P.S. If you ever get tired of eating toast Hawaii, try the variation where you switch the toast with chicken breast and you get Hawaii schnitzel. Oh, I'll never get tired of toast Hawaii. It's yes. so good. It's so good. P.P.S. I don't mind if you want to read my email on the podcast. Thank you. Yay. Thank you so much, Svenja. That's that um, that German language uh, yeah. catch is incredible. I love that. Yes. It's a bomb. Mm, That's a bomb drop for sure for us. I love the assessment about their relationship being more like a Greek tragedy. Having yes. taken a class in college on Greek and Roman plays, very accurate. And I love that. And they do a bit of that. I mean, you know, with it, this is a mini episode, so I don't want to go too far into it. But we are doing an episode about religion in dark and they but they also do mythology a lot in dark as well, which we know yes. from Minotaur and Ariadne. So this is very an interesting take on it as well. Something to think about that I actually hadn't considered. Yeah. So thank we you. are going to be doing an episode on religion as well as mythology. So yeah. we will get even deeper into all of that. Cannot wait. All right. So we have another email. So we have two emails from Kel. And I think that they are going to be a very interesting discussion. So if you guys are ready, yes. we can dive into them. I'm ready. Hey, PB, Murgles and Acorn. Just discovered your dark podcast, and it's a real breath of fresh air. Nice to find a topic-based podcast rather than a watch-along. Great format and banter between the three of you, and I really appreciate that you all seem to know the show so well from beginning to end. That said, if you'll forgive me, I have to disagree with Always. you on Magnus and Francisca. Yeah. Oh, what? Please disagree with that. Yeah. What? I have to. Yes. Go I have on. to disagree with you on Magnus Francisca being a great love story. For me, Magnus's stalking and invasion of Francisca's privacy was not condonable, but extremely off-putting. Uh, and Magnus accusing her of being a sex worker seemed like a fuck-up that Francisca didn't forgive either. When Francisca offers Magnus a handshake, it's a non-romantic gesture. I took it to mean that they were broken up and she's making peace with him, only so they can work together to figure out what secrets their parents are keeping from them. We don't see any further romantic interaction from the prime Magnus and Francisca after that point. Given that they never had children... I question whether they actually got back together at okay, all. Okay, well, sorry, that doesn't matter. 
you can have kids and still be in a relationship. Just going to throw that out there. Your relationship being romantically together doesn't mean you have to have babies. Second of all, we do see, we do see that they're holding hands. They're never not together in the future. Yeah. Anyway, go on. I can see the argument for them being in a platonic relationship after that fact. Yeah. And I mean, to that point, in all of the future scenes, we we actually complained about this, how there wasn't very much Francisca and Magnus in the future. And it was just in a capacity of them being pawns for Adam. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, like I, to me at least, and maybe because I'm a fan of them, I just read into those scenes that sense of closeness and tenderness and togetherness and more in a romantic way because that's in my mind how I've like filed them I guess it's also possible that they broke up and they just remained very good friends but seeing them hold hands at the end and then also seeing them in another timeline where they are already together it just seemed to be implied that they will forever find their way to each other in the same way that you know Jonas and Marta do but the the other thing I do want to bring up is that we did talk about the stalking and I I think that's a valid point. I think that what he does is it's very creepy. Yes, it's very creepy. I think I forgave it because of the way that the show makes it seem like they are both fascinated by each other from the very beginning. Like they ju- there's just de- some destiny involved in which case I'm like, okay, because she's also looking at him the same way. The very first scene she sees him, she passes by him and then comes back to talk to him by the side of the school. Mm. And like she makes eyes at him as they're passing in the hallway as well. And follows him later in the woods. Yes, she follows him too. Yeah. So like I, I feel like to Kel's point, stalking behavior is shown a lot in media as romantic. It's in a yeah, lot of yeah. romantic comedies. Boundaries are pushed, crossed, broken, and it's supposed to be okay because it's a romantic comedy or like they end up together or, you know, she's in love. So his behavior is acceptable. And it's it's not. She's absolutely right. It's it's not okay. Again, I think I overlook it and or forgive it because ultimately it's up to the receiver. We might find it creepy and that's our boundary. But Francisca didn't until he like looked into her past, right? Or like looked into her secrets, in which case she voiced it and was like, this is unacceptable. But as far as the her following him and him following her, I don't think that, I mean, around school, obviously following her and getting into her business, she was very upset about and it was a huge violation. But I never got the impression that wait a minute. Yes, we do. We do see them romantically together, don't we? See, when she said that, I was like, wait. That's not right. I actually, I don't know. Sorry, now I just have to look this up really quickly. Yeah, yeah, look it up. Anyway, I interrupted the letter, which I feel really badly about. So let's get back to that and then I will continue on my random spiel. But I just immediately... Yes, I acknowledge that. And I think we talked about it. I don't know if it stayed in the episode or not, because sometimes we cut stuff when we ramble. But we did talk about how creepy it was. And I think I forgave it because the show is implying that there is some sort of destiny or red thread involved and that they were both enamored with each other from day one where they're like, who is this person? And they both make eyes at each other. Otherwise, yeah, I'm right there with you. It's creepy as fuck. If some guy did that to me, I'd be like, goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Given that they never had children, I question whether they actually got back together at all. It'd be nice to think that they made the sensible decision not to have time travel babies. But with the lack of contraception in the 1800s, I'm thinking they might have been infertile or no longer a couple. I thought that ironically, Francisca might have ended up in a relationship like her parents. 
no longer sleeping with each other, but still stuck together. Yeah. Ooh, that is so, pretty good. I think it's a pretty That's good a note pretty about, good about the contraception. Yeah. yeah. It's a pretty good argument. Yeah. I mean, I'll just throw it out there. Francisca could be infertile. Yeah. They could be using 1800s condoms, which was like sheep intestine also, and stuff. People they could have pulled out. Also, <laughs> like the herbs and things that you can do to expel a pregnancy if you get pregnant back then. Like there were there were still options. It wasn't as robust as nowadays. But also, I would just I would just like to throw out there that I think it is a lot harder to conceive than people are willing to talk about. It's not talked about a lot, but a lot of women have trouble conceiving and and yeah. need you yeah. know fertility treatment and things like that. And it's very painful to talk about. So I think that's also why I jumped jumped at that, to be honest. So I apologize for interrupting your email to just say that kids don't necessarily mean that you're not some people can really want them and not be able to have them. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. I was just going to say, additionally, there is a way to have a very active sex life that does not include penetration. Yeah, that, that's a great point. You can have sex in a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to be it's true. penetration, like you said. Okay, so we have more to the email. Mm -hmm. The alt version of Magnus Francisca were a cuter couple, but also apparently expendable as far as the knot was concerned. And I agree that Magnus and Francisca roles and motivations and Sigmundus were extremely ill-defined. It can't be that they were working to perpetuate the loop so they could be together, because maintaining the loop was Ava's goals, not Adam's. Adam wanted to end everything, and I can't really see why Magnus and Francisca would help him with that. In the scene at the end of episode 2-6, we see the older Francisca telling older Magnus, we all have to make sacrifices. And it's kind of horrifying because Magnus clearly knew young Jonas was being tricked into bringing about Michael's suicide, the death of Magnus's little brother. Maybe there are deleted scenes that would have explained Magnus and Francisca being in Sigmundus, but I don't see two rebellious 21st century kids being brainwashed by a death cult. I totally see what Cal's saying, but at the same time, I would like to say that it is, it doesn't really matter who you are or like what your vibe is <laughs> or how educated you are. People can be indoctrinated and brainwashed into things at every juncture of life. Like you see many people, many highly educated people who join cults for whatever reason. And usually it comes from a sense of belonging. And, you know, I think we've discussed in the Noah episode about indoctrination, what happens when you have a small group of people who, quote unquote, know the truth and you are then you know, extricated from everyone else around yes. you, you're forced into a situation where there kind of is no true escape, or at least you don't believe that there is escape. Yeah, which they have. It's that whole loss of hope, you know, they've got the perfect... Yeah, they're thrown into the 1800s. They can't get back. The only person that can help them get back is middle-aged Jonas, the stranger-aged Jonas. You know, at that point, that's when the indoctrination sort of begins, you know? So yeah. I think it's important to recognize that it doesn't really matter who you are. You can be brainwashed by a death cult. Yeah. So. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. It's also just, you know, it's incredibly damaging and dismissive to just generalize that you have to be dumb or you have to be not strong to be manipulated or to be brainwashed into a cult. Yeah. It does a lot of damage to people who have been through that experience. Yeah. On that topic too, I recently watched an amazing video on this topic on YouTube. It's titled, if you want to look it up, I was in a cult for 16 years, ask me anything from the Jubilee channel, which promotes a lot of great discussion between different subgroups and people from different backgrounds. And it was fascinating to watch how this incredibly intelligent, well-spoken man described his experience of being in a cult and how it it literally changes your perspective of your world. Your yes. worldview is is changed. Yes. Mm -hmm. You can't 
think outside of it because you're so within it. So great, great video if you want to learn more yeah, about we'll that. I'm weird. That. I love looking that kind of thing that's up. Not I watch weird. these that's, kinds of videos all yeah, the time. That's not weird. That's amazing. I love educational <laughs> stuff and documentaries. Like, like yeah, same. Uh, there's a uh, there's this amazing TED talk of how this teenage, you know, rebellious 21st century teenage kid was radicalized into the alt-right. It's amazing TED Talk. I highly recommend it. It's called My Descent into America's Neo-Nazi Movement and How I Got Out by Christian Picciolini. And he, at 14, he was radicalized. And he talks about how what got him there was love, support, just, you know, the usual things that happen when you are brought into a group and indoctrinated into that group. And he talks about the experience of getting out of it. So it's I highly recommend it. Um, I think it's super topical for today, just in terms of like, I think it's really easy to become radicalized uh, these days. Uh, so Yeah, that's awesome. Speaking of which, actually, this just to piggyback with more cool stuff that you might want to look at, which is just that's the dark audience, right? We're, we're inquisitive. That's what we do. There is a new documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, which is oh, also God, yes. incredibly good. Yeah. And it touches a little bit on this. And, and I highly recommend it. I wasn't going to watch it because I was like, I know all this stuff already. Like, But then the trailer started playing on Netflix and it was interviewing the actual developers who made Facebook and Google. And I was like, I'm interested in what they have to yes. say. You know, like I know that Facebook is feeding me specific stuff. I know everything about the algorithm. I don't want to get depressed myself. But it was it was so, so, so very good. And they, they do talk a little bit about the radicalization and how easy it is to push people to become polarized now. Yeah. And I just think it's very interesting and very important probably to take a peek at. So yeah, I will we'll include these in the mini. <laughs> Our mini-sodes now have show notes. Now have show notes. Yeah. <laughs> Full show notes. <laughs> we'll include all of these that we're talking yeah. about in the show notes. On your general discussion on romance and dark, I was disappointed that you dismissed Jonas and Marta as a love story. Personally, I see them as a dark, fascinating subversion of epic romance tropes rather than any kind of conventional epic romance. But however you perceive their relationship, I too think that they may be connected to Merrick Sonia on some spiritual level. Jonas and Marta were the most pivotal couple of dark and for me, the most compelling. So it's sad to see you ignore them in your love discussion, unless that is your saving Jonas and Marta analysis for a later pod. Yeah. And that is exactly oh, yeah. what we're doing, Kel. So if you notice in our in our episodes, we we do try to say like, OK, but we yeah. will talk about them later. That's why we have not deep dived on some of the characters. We don't want to deep dive on characters that we know we're going to be doing an episode on. We want to really get into them unless it's super, super relevant yeah. at the time. But like a lot of those pivotal characters like Claudia and Jonas and Marta, we we definitely want to give them a lot of time and focus and energy in a later episode. So we don't want to give away too much because a lot of that will play into our conversation later. Yeah. Looking forward to your future dark discussions. Whether I agree or not, it makes for good listening. Best regards, Kel. So thanks, Kel. Thank you so much for writing yeah, in. Yeah, thank you. Oh, yeah. Also, I just wanted to... I'm looking through. I just... One further note here. Episode four is where they have the confrontation about the money. The locker yeah, room, right? Yeah, they have this confrontation in the locker room on episode four. In episode nine, they're having sex. So unless I'm missing something... Well, because there is the argument where he goes to her house and says like... Do you know? Are you prostituting yourself? And that's in her house. Is that in season two? Then uh, this is important because I, I, I feel like. Yeah, let me yeah. just quickly, like, if I'm pulling up the uh, timeline. If, yeah, so if one I fucking second. missed this. Um, 
it's an, an interesting theory, but I just don't, it's like one of those things of the Hannah in the prison. Like I just remember it completely differently. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. I'm going to read this out. This is from the official dark Netflix uh, mm-hmm. guide, dark.netflix.io. So season two, episode two, this is when Magnus sees her take cash from the box. He assumes Francisca has been sleeping with people for money, which causes a crisis in their relationship. Season two, episode five, together with Magnus, Marta, Elizabeth, Francisca runs into Bartosh in the Winding Caves. Bartosh is carrying a strange device. They travel back in time. Yeah, but then there's also the scene in the lake, which happens after that, where he thinks she's drowning and she stands up fully nude. No, that's long before. No, that's long before. That's before they're even dating. There is, there's a crisis in the relationship. They never say whether or not they get back together after that argument. Then it goes on to season three, episode two, Francisca, Magnus, Bartosh, and grown-up Jonas land in 1888, but their time machine is no longer working. Oh, but that's actually just like more evidence that she was in kind of encouraging. It wasn't, uh, she wasn't unaware of his interest in her and she wasn't, it was a mutual thing. Like it's very important when we talk about, you know, stalking that we you know, yes, we recognize predatory behavior or unacceptable behavior and we acknowledge it and nip it in the bud, especially when they put it in a romantic comedy or just like any movie or media where we're supposed to glorify that relationship. But it's also important to recognize if it's being received, like consent is a big deal. Okay, I have it. Go ahead. So I'm looking Mm -hmm. for evidence that they're together afterwards because so what happens is they have the argument where he says you're selling yourself for money she's like get out of my business i can't believe you saw you did that they have that fight then they do the handshake then they go back in time so this is like the the timeline there on the netflix website it says season two episode seven together with marta his girlfriend francisca and elizabeth magnus runs into bartosh in the window. that's on caves. the official dark website this is on the official dark website uh, as of season two episode seven francisca is still his girlfriend and i'm just checking to see if there's anything else in here that talks about that yeah i just checked my notes from the francisca and magnus episode and yes i i see after season two episode seven it's a lot of them traveling through time and then eventually going back to the 1800s mm-hmm. and then becoming adam's henchmen so but then also that's where we've we've addressed they really don't show them very much. Yeah. They're in maybe a handful of scenes and there's so much downtime that we don't see yeah. so much off the screen that would either inform their relationship either direction. But I do think it's telling that the official dark site called them boyfriend girlfriend. Yeah. At least as far as um yeah, as of season two, episode seven. But like to Kel's point, I absolutely see where you're coming from, Kel, because yeah, there's a lot that's not shown on screen. So mm-hmm. I think just because of that, you could argue both sides yep. and not really have a clear outcome. Second email from Kel. Hey, PB, Murgles and Acorn. Secondly, I really want to thank you for your latest pod on Helga, who I would totally agree is the most tragic character of the show, even if he's up against so much stiff competition. I'll be curious to hear your take on Noah next episode since he's a character I don't love myself, but I'm interested in the reason why so many other fans do. So far, I've just experienced other fans tell me they like Noah because he's hot. (laughs) Personally, I feel like the reasons I might feel sympathy for Noah are rather negated by the pain or abuse he inflicts on others. For example, I feel sympathy for Noah being brainwashed by a cult as a child and being manipulated into murdering his father. But then Noah goes on to brainwash Helga and Elizabeth as children and consequently turns them into murderers for the Sigmundus mm-hmm. cause too. I would like to jump in and say I don't think that he um, 
I don't think he brainwashes Elizabeth to be a murderer, but I could feel sympathy for Noah's child being stolen, but then Noah goes on to kidnap and murder other people's children without remorse. I would have sympathy for the way Noah was murdered if he hadn't murdered Claudia, who was not guilty of the crime he summarily executed her for. He didn't know that, though. He thought she was guilty. Not that that makes it okay. I'm just saying he's a he's a very manip he's a very sympathetic character in my eyes of manipulation. Like he is just he is a mirror of Helg. They are the same. Noah has been manipulated his whole life, just the way Helg was. We just see Helg as a meek and a little bit more broken externally than Noah, but Noah is broken internally, and yeah. you know they're used to mirror each other. I I find it I do find it fascinating how somebody who looks weak and meek and acts that way is more sympathetic than somebody who is maybe not showing it on the outside how broken they really are by everything. Yeah, that is interesting. Because Helg also does all of these things. Helg assists in all of it as well. Yeah. So then why is Helg sympathetic, but Noah isn't? Maybe because he's a more yeah. unwilling participant. He has to be coaxed and, and led by Noah at times. Yeah. And we see Noah actively manipulate him. Yes, that's true. And also at the end, Helg tries to redeem himself. I mean, so does Noah, but it's not quite in the same way. Helg's trying to hit himself mm -hmm. with the car to stop himself from doing it, which implies a little bit more remorse than yeah. Noah being like, I'm going to kill Adam because Adam did this instead of look at all the things I have done. Right. But I just think it's two different forms of guilt, right? It's two different forms of realizing what has been done to you or what you have participated in and how you grieve. And I appreciate that the show has two different versions of that because there are people who will take it upon themselves and carry that blame to the grave. And then there are people who will refuse to acknowledge their part in it and blame somebody else. So interesting. So I would have sympathy for the way Noah was murdered if he hadn't murdered Claudia, who is not guilty of the crime he summarily executed her for, in the same way when she actually tried to help Noah and wake him up from his lifelong delusions. In the end, I feel for Noah the same way Claudia did. He was a blind fool. However, the main character I wanted to write to you about is not Noah, but Hannah. I'm not sure when you plan to do your Hannah discussion, but in your Katarina pod, you seem to suggest that it'll be a big Hannah hatred fest. So I wanted to write ahead of time to make a plea that Hannah gets the same fair hearing as any other character in the show. It has always baffled me that fans can forgive and even love characters who are child murderers or attempted child murderers, Noah, Ulrich, etc., yet consider Hannah to be irredeemable. Because objectively speaking, Hannah's worst misdeeds, lying, cheating, blackmail, etc., while bad, are not even on the same level as the evil deeds of the other characters who are given a much more compassionate and understanding analysis. At first, Sorry, I feared, can we just yeah. pause here for a second? Um, did we cut that out? We talked about all of this, didn't we? What, did, did that get cut out of an episode? No, no, no. This yeah. was in the Noah episode that just went out. Oh, okay. I was going to say, we literally say the same thing as Kel right now. It's fucking wild. I know. So Kel, we have the same thoughts that you're, you've probably yes. already heard by now, but I, I'm just like listening to a version of us be like, why? Why are, is this okay? And why do we hate Hannah so much? We literally have this conversation. So you're in for a treat. In the Noah episode. At first, I feared that this was a sign of underlying misogyny in fandom, that a female villain will always be judged 10 times more harshly than a male villain, even if the male villain's actions are 10 times worse than hers. However, finding out that a female-led podcast also feels that Hannah is more hateworthy than any other character in Dark has caused me to reconsider. Now, I wonder if the thing about Hannah is that she's a much more realistic villain than other Dark characters. That people know Hannah types in their own lives and therefore yes. feel a more tangible personal yes. resentment towards yes. her. I imagine most people are lucky enough to not know or to have suffered from the actions of any child murderers in their lives. 
So then the worst deeds of Noah, Ulrich, etc. can be considered in a much more abstract, impersonal way. Yes, I totally agree with that. I think that that's, yeah, yeah. I think that that's super valid, Cal. Also, again, like uh, we do talk about this in the Noah episode a little bit. We have the same train of thought that we talk out and chew the fat of. I mean, we didn't we don't go too much into Hannah herself because we're saving that for her episode. But uh, we we have this literal pause and discussion where we are like, why do we do this? Why do we hate her so much? So you're in for a treat, essentially, is what I was trying to say. So yes, I am a Hannah defender, and not a lukewarm either, but a fiery, passionate one. My main take on Hannah is that she's a woman suffering with obsessive love disorder. But if you take away Hannah's mental illness, she's not a bad person. All Hannah's negative actions and behaviors stem from her very unhealthy infatuation with Ulrich, and a lot of fans don't even consider Hannah through her relationships with other characters. Michael, for example. I feel it needs to be stated that Hannah did not seduce uh, Michael knowing he was Katerina's son. Well, of course This is not. not something she did to spite Katerina. Hannah genuinely formed a bond with Michael. Maybe. While other kids, namely Katerina and Ulrich, rejected Michael as being weird, Hannah thought he was cool. Personally, I feel like Hannah's bond with Michael shows that deep down, Hannah was a weird, awkward, insecure kid herself, and a lot of Hannah's insecurity came from idolizing the cool, popular school bullies. We don't see a lot of Hannah and Michael's relationship, but even in that brief moment in season two, episode six, where Michael has his panic attack over Jonas's raincoat, Hannah hugs him and kisses his shoulder, showing how she's sensitive to Michael's fragility, maybe because she recognizes the same frailty in herself. That is actually the only redeeming scene for, in my opinion, one of the only redeeming scenes uh, with Hannah, and I did enjoy that scene. Yeah, I did I enjoy that. But I think, I think, I mean, obviously, we're going to get more into this on Hannah's episode, but I have considered it's interesting. And again, Cal, I don't know what your day job is. So I'm just saying this generally. And for me, it's very dangerous to diagnose people or put labels on people or characters in TV shows. However, I've also done the same thing for Hannah. Um, so I'm right there with you where I have wondered if they are writing somebody with borderline with Hannah. And I I have seen that and I wondered that myself. And th that disclaimer aside, I think about that. However, it's very important also to acknowledge that while somebody might have a mental illness that they are dealing with and struggling with and battling, it doesn't excuse their actions against other people. And at some point, and this is just me speaking to my past self, at some point you have to say no. That doesn't excuse what you are doing to me or what you have done to me. I don't hate you, but I also am not in a place to forgive you or tolerate any future treatment. So I think you know, obviously, like Hannah's not murdering people. And again, we talked about this in the Noah episode a little bit. It's the intention, I guess, behind yeah. her actions and the, the willful manipulation that she does. I also don't know, because they didn't show us too much of their relationship, Michael and Hannah, other than that one scene and then a couple of other scenes where she's pretty dismissive of him. It was difficult for me to assume that they actually formed a bond of love rather than, say, maybe convenience or Hannah finally found somebody who wasn't treating her like shit. But that first interaction with Michael says a lot to me where he's just she just says, do you think I'm beautiful? Like she's not thinking about him. And sure, she doesn't need to be thinking about him. People change. People grow like he could give her attention that she ends up liking. But it, it, to me, it seems very clear that it doesn't satisfy her. The yeah. type of attention that she gets from Michael isn't satisfactory. And in my opinion, the worst thing you can do to another human being, other than maybe murder them, well, this is, I guess, falls in that, is steal their time. 
if you are willingly with someone and you know it's not a good relationship and you know it's not fulfilling you or fulfilling them, what are you doing? You are stealing their life. You are stealing their time. And I I feel very passionately about that. And so I think like if Hannah is just in this relationship and she knows it's, you know, not fulfilling her and she's sleeping around, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? I think that's really also spoiler where we landed in the Noah episode. It really just comes yeah. down to the intention behind the actions, because even with Noah, he was murdering people and in doing all of these terrible things. But it was never mm-hmm. for himself. It was always for someone else versus Hannah, who always does things for herself. It's very all of the actions that she takes are for her own self-interest. And oftentimes, most of the time, I can't think of I'm sitting here thinking back. I can't think of one time she did something yeah. for someone else. I can think of one. Which and it's when she approaches Adam for her daughter. Oh. She's like, I, I yep. was told to come here because you will keep us safe. And she probably knows it's risky. And she was doing it for Celia. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So and yeah. like we've <laughs> yeah. said we've said a hundred times before there we're con- we're also confused by our own hatred of Hannah. But I will say this. I have had a Hannah in my life for 15 years. She was awful. So a lot of my anger towards Hannah is frustration at my past self for allowing someone in my life to gaslight me and manipulate me for so long and like believing that they were a good person. And I did that. I did that train of thought, Kel. So if I'm passionate in my voice, just know it's not at you. It's a past PB that's like, I said that. Oh, but she's suffering from this. She's still a good person underneath there. Sorry, that's still a good person underneath there never showed herself to me. All she ever did was manipulate, lie, and purposefully try to hinder my life. And I can't wrap my brain around. I can't wrap my brain around it. Like, it's just so... How does somebody do that to other humans? I don't get it. So a lot of my personal hatred at Hannah is that. So I'll admit that. I wonder if it's an element of like why we can forgive Noah is because we are the Noah and why we cannot forgive Hannah is because Hannah are the people who have hurt us. I think she's spot on about the fact that Noah, you know, kidnapping kids and hopefully most of the fucking listeners of the show haven't experienced anything remotely close to what Helg goes through being kidnapped and, you know, uh, or Noah, you know, that kind of stuff. But I feel like everybody can relate to somebody being manipulative and whatnot. So I think personally, I think Kel's observation about is that why you can maybe there's no personal attachment to Noah's character in that way is so, I think it's spot on. I think it's right. I think that's why Mm -hmm. people have such a visceral hatred for Hannah. Yeah. It's certainly why I do. I also think it's worth talking about Hannah as a parent because while she's no mother of the year, her feelings for her kids are her most redeeming quality. Yeah, I agree with that. And ultimately the source of her tragic death. Oh, did we just say that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's Hannah's love for her two children that caused her to get over her unhealthy obsession for Ulrich. In June 2020, when Hannah considers suicide after losing both Jonas and Ulrich, it's Jonas' return that gives her something to live for again. Hannah leaves Jonas only after he rejects her, telling her she needs no one. After that, Hannah confirms for herself that Ulrich never truly loved her and has a rebound relationship with Egon, only to conclude she can no longer trust men. Which was our favorite, but we talk about that in the Noah thing, and I hope that didn't get cut because like, we were all like, that's a fucking power move, and we love that part of Hannah, where she was like, I need no one. (laughs) I think we talked about that. It was either the Katarina or Ulrich episode. It wasn't in Noah. It gave gave um, me me some like, 
go Hannah feelings yeah. when I saw that. I was like, yes, hell yes, woman. Yeah. You know, go do your thing. I mean, I also hate that you're just super manipulative, but it seems like that pregnancy changed her, in my opinion. Yes. She was a different person after that. Yeah. Yeah. Those are my notes for like, yeah. for her episode. So I feel like I don't want to get yeah, roped into <laughs> talking about it too much. So yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. At this point, she devotes herself to being a mother to Celia. And when Ava shows up and tells her that Jonas has been searching for her, which is a lie, Hannah's filled with remorse and takes the risk of traveling to the past so she can devote herself to being a mother to Jonas again, too. She cries in remorse at having ever left him. And then just as Hannah has renounced her selfish desires to devote herself to her children, she's murdered by one of her children. It hurts to hear fans gloat over Hannah's death because within the context, Hannah did not deserve to die that way at all. I agree that she didn't deserve to die that way. But at the same time, I wasn't surprised when it happened because to me, it, it felt like you get what you give. And so if you spend most of your life being manipulative and dismissive and terrible and selfish, it's almost like karma in a sense. That's what it felt like to me. I will yeah? argue that uh, yes, argue with you on that acorn. Yeah. Because I we be saving this for her episode though. We'll say your piece. <laughs> well, but then, I mean, yeah, we're say here. your piece, but then yeah. We should, yeah. Okay, go ahead. A light discussion. Yeah. Yeah. I will just quickly say that I don't think that uh regardless of anyone's behavior or what they do, I don't think that they deserve to Strangled. be like I <laughs> Wait, don't she was think, suffocated yeah, with they, a pillow, right? I don't yeah. think that yeah, I think so. I don't think that anyone I don't think that death yeah. should be karmic to some extent. Like I sort of fundamentally disagree with the idea that when someone does something bad or something that hurts someone that they necessarily like deserve to oh die because gosh. of it. And maybe that's just like Are you anti-death penalty. I am indeed anti-death penalty. Yes. <gasps> I learned something I did not know about you. This is interesting. <laughs> well, I will say I will say that there was one there's only been one time in my life where I was like pro death penalty. <laughs> Which I think, uh, which I think is maybe a, a bit telling about myself. It's a Netflix documentary, which I don't recommend anyone watch, to be honest, because I felt like it was pretty oh, traumatic to watch. I think um, I know which oh, one you're talking one. about. I know exactly what you're talking about. The little kid, Gabriel. Yeah. The Trials yep. of Gabriel yep. Fernandez. Wow. I, I refuse right to watch that. Yeah. I can't. Don't watch it. It's rough. It's, <laughs> it's rough. really, it's really fucking rough. And like, usually I can find it within my heart to recognize that people do all kinds of terrible things and people can be truly horrific. But I don't think that in many scenarios, people deserve to die because of it. And especially I think in Hannah's case, I don't think anything that Hannah did makes her deserve to be murdered in that way. Yeah, um, I, I would agree. I would agree with that as well. Like she can be a trash person. You can just not be her friend. But like, yeah, right. I don't think that she yeah. deserves to be fucking murdered for it uh but yeah the yeah. trials of gabriel fernandez i like screamed at the tv and was like fucking <laughs> i watched the, yeah. the trailer and i'm like okay i'm good that's enough for me i it's can really see what brutal. it's about and don't I, watch I, it no yeah. they like show pictures they show and stuff. it's, it's really, really bad. bad yeah um but it's yeah. really bad yeah, yeah yeah um sorry just to clarify real quick uh-huh. when i say that it, it seemed like karma to me I meant in a, like a narrative sense, like I, could I was see, just going to come yeah. in, in and say, I think agreed. That's what you I don't yeah. think anyone deserves death for things that they do in life. To your point, Murgles, yes, if someone harms you and also to PB's point, if someone harms you, if someone manipulates you, just cut them out of your life. Just say, no, that's I'm exactly sorry. I'm going to go did. take up my space over here. I didn't murder her. Yeah, yeah exactly. FYI. Yeah, I didn't give her. You... <laughs> I wasn't like just desserts and then yeah. and murder. Yeah. But like emotionally <sighs> in that scene, when Adam kills Hannah my reaction was well that's excessive oh. 
And I don't think that should have happened. But at the same time, I wasn't surprised. Mm. Yeah, I think I was just going to say this, Acorn, that I wasn't I didn't think that you meant Hannah herself actually deserved that. But in the metaphor, because dark Mm -hmm. is entirely like metaphor and symbolism. They did that to show us Jonas's full. Yes, his transformation. Yeah, his transformation into Adam. And part of his transformation is like the way Hannah manipulated and did everything in the and he knows it. He's aware of it. Now, personally, I hate it when they use women's deaths to be props for men's transformation in character. I fucking yeah. hate that trope. Yeah. Um, but in this specific instance, they I feel like they showed us Hannah manipulating her whole life and Jonas realizing like how manipulative she is as he's going through time travel and then being the snake eating its tail. He becomes just as manipulative as she does. Yep. And it's just that it's just that loop, that perpetual loop. So in this regard, again, I'm, I'm able to kind of be like, oh, OK, you know, it's you know, I recognize that that could maybe be what what's happening here. But I'm going to give the writers the benefit of the doubt and say, no, it's that's not the case. But yes, I also don't think Hannah deserves to die. Um I just think that if there's a Hannah in your life, cut her out. Yeah. yeah. You don't you don't need her. She's fine. Nope. She can she can go on her own life journey about figuring out she doesn't need men, but you don't need to be there for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't need to be the person she cuts down yeah. in her journey. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. I think I think that's Kel, I hope that helps understand where we're coming from on Hannah. And I think we did talk in the Noah episode that we're going to try very hard not to make it a Hannah hate fest because there's a lot of emotion here. We want to try to be as objective as possible. So I think this is a good opportunity to say, I hear your plea and I'm going to give it 110,000% to try to be as objective as possible. I have actually since those episodes where since the Katarina episode where I got really emotional about it, I have gone through purposely trying to find good things uh, that I like about Hannah. So we are on top of that. However, if there are any other Hannah fans out there, I think we've got like, what, six weeks before the Hannah episode? Yeah, five mm-hmm. or six. Five or six weeks. You have five or six weeks to convince us. We are begging you. Send us all the reasons why you love Hannah. We'll read them all and we'll talk about the ones that we like the best or the strongest arguments in the Hannah episode. So if you send us a Hannah love letter and we don't read it in these mini episodes, just know we're saving it. Yeah. We're saving it for the Hannah episode. Yeah. So thank you, Kel. I I personally really love uh, opposing dialogue. Yeah. I do too. I think, really there's, good. I, think yeah. I think there's not enough of it on the internet today. So I really Agreed. appreciate that you took the time to write us such a wonderful love letter for Hannah. Yeah. I like that. So thank you, Kel. I appreciate it. The final basis of my belief that Hannah would have been a good person without her obsessive love for Ulrich is that the origin world Hannah offers actual concrete evidence of this. Take Ulrich out of existence, and Hannah grows up to be a seemingly pleasant and sane woman capable of having a healthy relationship with Wooler and a close circle of friends that includes Katerina. The fact that Hannah, Katerina, and Regina all seem to be happier and friendlier as adults in the origin world should be enough to confirm that Ulrich was the poisonous person in their generation, not Hannah. Phew, I hope you don't mind these long emails I'm sending you, especially since I've been mostly offering counter-opinions to those expressed on your pod. I'm not meaning to be argumentative, just hoping to broaden the scope of your discussions, which I will certainly not continue to listen to. I fucking to. love it. Yeah, thank you I so much. I fucking love yes. it. Love it so much. Yeah. Can we also talk about just like how in 2020, how scary that must have been for her to write that email and send yeah. it to us? Oh, yeah. Like, oh my God, what totally. if they hate me? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we don't. We love it. We love it so much. That ending scene, I I was on the fence when I watched that and I am still on the fence just because of all of the scenes throughout the show where she 
acted friendly and warm and accepting of Katarina when she was sleeping with her fucking husband and manipulating yep. everything from the background. Yep. So that's my yep. only catch. I wanted yeah. to like her in that scene, but it was almost like like a trauma response. Like, no, 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 I don't trust you. I don't yep. trust this. I've seen who yeah. you are. I've seen what you do. And I don't know what this if this is genuine or yeah. not. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too, about Hannah. Like one scene is not enough, unfortunately, for me to confirm against literally everything else. And also in the because that scene, we also have Hannah in alt world who is just as manipulative. So like, I can't believe that she just, you know, in origin world, she just doesn't have her disorder. I think that's a disservice to real life and to a character. Yeah, there's also this whole element of blaming a man for a woman's actions and remove him from the equation. She's suddenly a good person. And she's suddenly a good person. Yeah, Yeah. I I feel like that's a little bit dangerous. But also, uh, I think it's just dangerous to say that Ulrich is the poison when really the poison apple is the loop, right? Yeah. Like Ulrich is just as much a victim of the loop as everyone else. As everyone else. And it's like Hannah's son that is, you know, the poisonous... Mm. It's just like it's the point. There is no real origin point of the poison, in my opinion. It's a snake. You know, it's the Ouroboros. So like, I think it's unfair to say it's one person is the poisonous apple in the whole group because, yeah, I don't think a, she's saying that, that though. Happens. I think she's saying that like in regards to Hannah, her issue in the show, Ulrich would be her poison specifically. Not that Ulrich is the poison. I think that that's actually really interesting because we talk about how, you know, Magnus and Francisca have this unknown lure. What if it's the same for Hannah? Ooh. What if Hannah has an unknown lure to Ulrich? And Kel's right about this obsessive, like, you know, love that she has. But, it, you know, maybe let's not self-diagnose her or, you know, web doctor her. But what if it's, you know, this fate? Just another yeah. instance of the connection. It's another instance of the poisonous apple for all of them. Yeah, yeah. that's very interesting. We will dive down. deeply we'll talk about it. into yeah. that during the, during the Hannah episode. So <laughs> okay. Uh, so that's, that's probably it for today, right? Do we want to do like a review and then... We can do all good. Yeah, we can do a, a review. Thank you, by the way, everybody who's been rating and reviewing the show. I think we're in a little bit of shock over here by how well received the podcast has been and just how many people are listening. We have a group chat where we'll message each other and be like, oh, my goodness, you know, like this many listens. And I think we're just we're in a bit of a state of a starstruck shock that everybody has just been so lovely to us and taking the time to send us messages and rate the show. And yeah, so thank you. Really what I wanted to say. Uh, Yeah, super appreciated. Okay, so we have a five star review from Mm. See You Space Cowboy. This was uh, September 2nd. Rock Solid Production. Love listening to this podcast. Very high quality recordings and deep dives to boot. We'll be tuning in every week for these ladies. It's a, Aww, it's a lovely, sweet you. one. Yeah, thank I you so much. I also love that username. That's super cute. I know. See you, Space Cowboy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we all did it in our head. We yep. all heard it. <laughs> okay, so that's it for Radio Windham. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, once again, mm-hmm. if you would like to be a part of our conversation, feel free to email us at darkcompanionpod at gmail.com. You can also at Radio Winden on Twitter uh, or use the hashtag darkcompanionpod. All you Hannah fans too, send in your arguments. Yes, hit us, please. Six weeks. Let's you got go. six weeks. We want to hear it. We want to hear it. Sway us. Sway. You convince us. Convince us. <laughs> convince us. <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah. Heal, heal our trauma. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Con- yeah. Convince me because I need a lot of convincing. <laughs>
no i'm just i'm just kidding it's not entirely that's see that's the other thing too that's so disappointing is that i was hoping to surprise everybody with like oh by the way i found some stuff about hannah that i you know that makes me second you guess you still are because you haven't talked about it you yeah, just you went but, looking i mean the surprise has been destroyed Kel, oh, no, but hasn't. that's okay i appreciate i appreciate i appreciate the dialogue <laughs> to be um, fair yeah i was gonna come out of the gate and be like guess what guys don't necessarily hate her as much as i used to <laughs> but that's but that's okay i still i still strongly dislike her to be fair also it is a good time because uh i believe the noah episode just went out and in the noah oh, okay. episode there's a couple of moments where i'm like don't worry everyone we still hate her but we are having this debate <laughs> yeah so we're still gonna yeah, yeah i actually think that that i'm so glad that that made it into the episode and people listening thinking we're cutting like a whole bunch of stuff but we're not it's usually if we like ramble way off topic sometimes yeah that stuff gets cut yeah i'm so i'm so glad that that's a thing because i found that conversation very interesting where we're like why do we hate her so much yeah yeah um and the only reason we would have cut that from the episode is because we were going to save it for a hannah episode yeah so i'm glad that we didn't yeah that is one thing that that's i will all. quickly add before again we we head on out um if you do not hear us uh address something about your favorite character um in an episode about someone else or about another theme or something like that chances are we are saving all of that discussion for their specific episode we've got yeah. 33 episodes in total um and we are going to be deep diving on many of these big characters that we talk about in the show so we are saving a, a lot of the meat for that as it were so thank you so much yeah yeah yeah, yeah. thanks for tuning thanks in thanks for tuning in Cheers. see you next time on radio winden radio winden yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning into Radio Winden. See you next time.